Welcome to Conversation Mill. My name is Rebecca Dale and I am the host of the show. I have a passion for sharing how the creation of thriving local economies benefits us all. I'm fascinated by how we come together to form our communities on a macro and micro scale and how our histories and stories when shared can not only motivate and inspire, but can facilitate understanding. As our communities, large and small, bring back a more progressive Main Street, individuals are stepping out to pursue their passions and local leaders are pushing back against corporate greed. It's time to engage these community leaders and small business owners in conversation. What are the driving forces behind their courage and success and how can we continue to build communities that embrace diversity, support the local economy, and create a healthy ecosystem for the culture at large? Join us now in conversation. Housing is an ongoing hot topic in all of our communities. The affordability of it, the abundance of it, but also the safety of the neighborhoods and gentrification the environmental impacts of building housing, and even the materials the housing is built out of. What if we could start implementing ways to build sustainably, with the benefits not only to the environment, but an added bonus of creating jobs and so much more? Bamboo is starting to be, and could be, that gateway to a better way of building and living. Charlotte. Shar O'Brien walks us through the benefits of bamboo as a building resource, but also as a plant to help revive soil and slow climate change. We had our conversation in one of the bamboo homes Shar helped build through her work with Bamboo Living. Not only do these bamboo homes have incredible craftsmanship and offer a sustainable solution to building, They have the potential to bring us closer to nature and remind us of our responsibility to the earth. Now, please join us in conversation. Before we start this episode today, I want to invite you to join us at conversationmill.substack.com. There's a link in the show notes. If you visit conversationmill.substack.com, you'll be able to view pictures of the home we're sitting in today to record. And if you join Conversation Mill on Substack, you will receive some extra video footage as we walk around to some of the buildings and the space around the home. By joining us on Substack, you support the ongoing efforts of Conversation Mill to help build up our local communities and support our local businesses. So I would invite you to join us as an annual member for just $55 a year to receive all the extra content from Conversation Mill and help us carry on great conversations with our local leaders. Thank you. And now to the conversation. So let's start with, because we could start in a ton of different places, but let's start with what was the turning point for you on focusing your energy on climate change or sustainability? Like when did, what was the moment, what was the action or the non-action happening in the world that made you go, I have to start doing something? I came back to Hawaii from Vietnam where I was working at a factory making these bamboo houses 
And my son-in-law picked me up at the airport and said, guess what? We're pregnant. And I thought, oh, my God. Yeah. I had just come from Vietnam where climate change was very obvious. I mean, the sun would go down over the ocean and be bright orange. You think, wow, that's beautiful. But when you really think about it, it's bright orange because you're looking through pollution and it's diffusing the color of the sun into this bright orange. Mm. So it, it, it just it became a more acute issue to me. And I, yeah, so I started to really study climate change. And I spent about a year and a half just sitting in a little six by 10 cabin just studying because I thought I understood what climate change was. And I soon realized I absolutely didn't understand it at all. And I certainly didn't understand the alternative ways of dealing with it. You know, this climate change just, just gets to be a big word because right. it's these big concepts. And actually, the concepts should be very simple. And another time I'd like to talk about that particular thing. But today we probably should stay on bamboo and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But so you were coming back from Vietnam and what had you been doing there in Vietnam? I, I'd been working at the factory that makes these bamboo houses. So they they assemble, they make, they actually build them inside a factory and then take them down. They're made in panels, mostly eight feet wide by eight foot seven tall. And um, they're assembled, disassembled, you know, painted and everything, and then sent over here. And then we put them back up on top of a foundation. Okay. So, and working with bamboo in Vietnam made me love bamboo. Mm -hmm. Of course, I didn't have much experience with it before, and it's just the most amazing plant. Um, I call it a climate change hero because it can grow in the worst soil possible. And the woman that woke me up to that is Dr. Mi Han, who is a professor at the University of Ho Chi Minh City. And she grew up in what they call the, the Iron Triangle of Vietnam. So it's an area where... During that war, it was bombed so repeatedly that they now call it the Iron Triangle because nothing grew there. I mean, it's wow. just so much debris and that sort of thing. And she said, okay, I'm going to grow bamboo here. And so she made earthworm castings in a big container, and then she um, planted a particular type of bamboo. And I saw it four years after it had been established, and I have photos that you could insert. Mm -hmm. And big, beautiful, and lots of earthworm castings all over the place. Just wow. The, and if you look across the fence at the neighbors, you can see that, wow, nothing's growing over there. But here, it's like this lush thing after four years of bamboo, because bamboo is what's called a pioneer plant. And it can establish. And once it establishes, it starts to bring the, the microcosm that it's in around to fertility. That's just what any pioneer plant will do. And bamboo is a really good, very strong pioneer plant. Bamboo is this pioneer plant that you're talking about that helps enrich the soil. Right. But also, does it grow then fast enough to be something that's sustainable to, to use? What, what's that growth period? So bamboo is an unusual plant because you, you plant it and five years later you start to harvest it, but you harvest only 25% of the what are called combs. So it's a big clump of these bamboo combs and you take 25% of them away. And then the next year you take another 25% and the next year another 25% because every year it's sending up shoots. So with those shoots that come up, it sends up more shoots than you can use. So you take about a ton 
per hectare out of the area for shoots that you sell for food. And then the rest of it, you let them mature. So once an individual comb is three year, three to four years old, then it's ready to harvest. So the first year, the comb shoots up, goes all the way to its full height. That's why people say, wow, grand bamboo grows a meter a day. And it does, Yeah, but it's very flimsy. But you then know. it's got to go out. No, it doesn't go out. It's the same size, but it thickens. The walls thicken uh. on the inside until it gets rigid like wood. Okay. More, Actually, more rigid than wood. If you sink a screw into bamboo, you'll have more difficulty getting it out than you will to get it out of wood. It, it's stronger because the fibers are... A lot of bamboo has cross fibers like this one. They're, they're going in different directions. So when you look at all that, that you are taking off between 30 and 50 tons per hectare every year, every year for you know, 50, 60, up to 100 years, depending on the species of bamboo. Um, and you compare that with, with let's say, so southern yellow pine, you're growing 10 times as much biomass per acre or per hectare as you can with wood. So back up one second, because I think that was such an interesting fact, and I don't want to skip over it. The bamboo plant that you're harvesting, so you're harvesting 25% of it mm -hmm. each time you go into harvest, mm -hmm. and that plant can provide a harvest for every single year. Uh, indefinitely or and, to and 100 until it, years? Or? Until it either flowers or dies, and usually mm -hmm. it dies because it flowers. Okay. So it only flowers once. But some bamboo lives 100 years. Some Each, each species has a different lifespan. So, wow. but normally 60 years is pretty typical of bamboo. Wow. Yeah. It's an, a remarkable plant. Yeah. Yeah. So again, let's pack up because there's, and, it, and there's so much we could cover here, but I really want people to understand more about bamboo because then it really helps yeah. understand why building a home like this out of bamboo makes sense. So when you talked about the soil uh, microcosm that's being brought back by planting bamboo. Mm -hmm. How does bamboo do that versus planting fern in my yard? Or like, what's the difference? What is bamboo doing in the soil that another plant is maybe not doing? So everything in nature has a purpose, obviously. Nature, I like to think of nature as always having a plan. Because no matter what happens, whether it's a volcano, a flood, whatever happens, nature always starts going in the direction of an old growth forest. Everything she does is taking you to perfection, whether it's an old growth pine forest, oak forest, maple forest, or a savanna, or a marsh, or a bog. They're, they're in that particular area of the world, wherever it is, it, there's an old growth that's the perfection of nature in that area. And she's always going straight there. And I'll never forget, I was in my early 30s, and one time I had a backhoe come to my farm in Missouri at that time and dig a big hole. Dig a, dig a big hole. All that subsoil from you know six, seven feet down was on top of a big pile. And the pile just sat there. And I started nosing what the plants started coming and growing on that pile. And I looked at the plants growing on that dirt, and you look around the whole area, and none of those plants were growing out here around this area. Nature had like somehow put seeds there that were appropriate for breaking that soil down, mm -hmm. heading towards that old growth forest. Wow. Breaking that, that soil down until it 
You know, and think of, we all know that volcanic rock, first thing is the lichens come in and then the grasses come in and pretty soon you got a little pocket of soil and then pretty soon you got a little plant, a little fern, and then it's suddenly got a tree and it's breaking the, the rocks apart. Yeah. That's the trajectory. And mm. nature always knows where to go. What's the next step? No matter what you do to it, if you take your chemicals in your in your chemical agriculture and you spray it, if you walk away from it and leave it, she will start fixing herself. Fixing, 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 fixing. So we humans have to learn to get out of the way and not only to get out of the way, but to assist nature where we can. Yeah. If we are to overcome climate change, we have to let the master gardener work mm-hmm. and be the assistance. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a big it's it's not a big thing, in my opinion, to let nature do its job, but it's a big thing in this world of more and technology that's maybe not actually supporting the planet per se. Right. And it it's that's a big conversation. I hope another time we can get into that. Yeah. But it's been proven over and over that you actually produce more crops and certainly more bottom line, a stronger bottom line, by working with nature as opposed to, you know, making chemicals, bringing mm-hmm. them in, putting it on the field, making your soil tougher because now you've got chemicals on. You've ruined the life. So now it's really hard to get your tractor chisel plow to go through there. Yeah. You know, there's just all the negatives add up to where so many people that are moving to regenerative agriculture are finding they make a lot more money sure, because the inputs are less and they sell it for more because now you've got a valuable product. It's either regenerative or organically certified, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to just an everyday commodity. Yeah. And uh, so and th- there's been lots of written on regenerative capitalism. Mm. There's whole books written on that. So, but of course, most people don't, People are paid to tell you that that's not true. Right. You know, people are paid to keep the the current model in place. Mm-hmm. And that's just an unfortunate thing that we as individuals and as collectively as a community have to overcome. We have to think for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because if someone's making money, they're not going to tell you that that's the truth. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you're in Vietnam. Yeah. What got you to Vietnam working on bamboo? Well, they they asked me to go okay. to be the quality control in the factory. And it was a new factory. It was helping them to buy tools and and saying, you know what, Americans are not going to be happy with that particular thing. You just do that. No, no. But it's good enough. Well, yeah, but you know what? Not, not to most Americans. Yeah. 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 What were some of those things that you were going, ugh? Well, just quality control. Just, you know, like, is that... Is the alignment on that trim good enough? No. You know, it's just, it's functional. Yeah. Is it beautiful? No. So mm-hmm. let's just get that a little bit better. Yeah. Little things like that. Yeah. Just, th- these guys were amazing. Amazing artisan. But, you know, they they would just like say, I- I'm going to go now. But, 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 <laughs> wait a minute. There are 110 people here depending on you. Oh, no, no, but I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. So, but now they they run very efficiently, mm-hmm. yeah, very efficiently. But it was just funny to see that back in yeah. beginning days. Yeah. 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 And how did you get involved with? And the name of the company is Bamboo Technologies. That was the original name, but it also has it goes by the Bamboo Living is what we can put a link in the chat. There. Yeah. So yeah, the houses. This one is 
well, of course, my favorite, but yeah. uh, <laughs> there have been about 500 built around the world. You know, wow. And some of them are just, and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, yeah, I was um, going to ask you about that. So let's start like with this house. Yeah. What, first of all, how much bamboo goes into making this model of home? I, I don't know. No. Okay. I'd have to go around and count the poles. Yeah. Yeah. And what, so, okay, so maybe a better question is, what's the process of making this home kit? What are we looking at? Is this like a solid bam piece of bamboo right here? Is this cut? What are the yeah. elements of the bamboo that, is it being yeah. manufactured into anything else? No, it's a special type of bamboo that's the strongest in the world okay. because it has to pass ICC testing. I mean, it's it's the only internationally certified building material made of bamboo in the world. Wow. And this company, which started right here in Maui 26 years ago, did all of that. And and it started also with the county of Maui. The mm -hmm. county of Maui had to give variance. For seven years, they said, okay, okay, we think it's a little odd, but go ahead and build those houses, and we'll see how it goes. They were very understanding. And then after seven years, they said, that's it. You got to get that ICC, or we can't go along with this anymore with their permit process. And then we got the permits, the certification. And um, so then from there, it's a all the architectural designs have to go through a building engineer who uses you know calculations to make certain the wind load and the shear load. And those calculations have increased over the years with the increased hurricane speeds. You know, we now have category six hurricanes, not just category five, mm -hmm. and um, flooding and that sort of thing. So the the rigor that goes into making certain these houses are strong is amazing. They're they're way overbuilt because nobody believes that bamboo is as strong as it is. Oh, okay. so in fact. These these houses have been in a hurricane, and they've been in a tidal wave. Wow. I think it was a—I don't remember the strength of the hurricane number. Yeah, but it, they've survived all of those things. Oh. I was in wow. an earthquake once inside a bamboo house, and you barely felt a thing other than the trees were swaying back and forth. It was this wow. 7.6 that happened on the Big Island. I was standing there on Sunday morning, like, why, why are those trees doing that? You know. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now they're incredibly strong. Incredibly strong. Mm -hmm. yeah. And bamboo is just strong, period. Not all bamboo. Okay. You know, there are about 1,250 different species of bamboo. Some of them are very weak. But this particular one is incredibly strong. Hmm. Yeah. And do you know the name of that bamboo that it's? This particular bamboo, yeah, we call in Vietnam they call it tray guy. Okay, it's just yeah, and the scientific name is that long, and I don't want to have to say it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You said that the company was started here on Maui, mm -hmm. and they manufacture in Vietnam. Did they move manufacturing there, or no, they just no, did the, that because the design is support. here? Okay, know, there's no American could build this house. Right, <laughs> this, the artisans that do this are incredible, and and. When I first got to the factory, they were doing it with little hand tools. Wow. They put in a little handmade box. Everybody had their own little handmade box. And these little um, bow saws. And it, it was amazing that they could turn that out. And, and I do carpentry. And I wouldn't even touch a tool because I couldn't even begin to do what they did. Yeah. So, And the joints, if you look at the joint, every joint has a mortise and tenon inside the joint. So, you know, in the old barns, you had this, the mm -hmm. mortise, 
is the square part, and then a tenon went inside, and then it was usually pegged. Well, think of that in a round-to-round -round situation. So every single joint that you see has a mortise, mm -hmm. has a tenon inside, and then it's mortised into the, the piece next to it. Being in this house, I'm just shocked that this is coming out of a, a kit, that this has been built once before, mm -hmm. yeah. then taken down. Taken down, yeah. And put in a container. Yeah. <laughs> and shipped over here. And when it comes, what what pieces are together? Because there is a lot of pieces here. Are these... Well, see, there are panels. See those pie-shaped things? So there's one, okay. two, three, four panels above us. Okay. And then, uh, you know, there's one, two, three, four, five, six panels in this half a hexagon, or half a octagon, rather. And then there's a rectangle back there. Okay. And these are all four by eight piece, four by eight panels up there, and the walls are usually eight by eight. Yeah, and then they all bolt together with two bolts on each side, so mm -hmm. eight bolts to a panel, and um, it goes together very quickly if yeah. you have a crew that knows what they're doing. <laughs> and what are the different models? Oh, there are a lot of models, but and you can custom if you. Oh yeah, you can do a lot of customization. Okay, uh, they're right now they're doing total customization because they have computers that will make a design that you can walk into, climb mm -hmm. the stairs, go back behind the chimney, do whatever you want. It's amazing. Yeah. You can, they can just take you through the house you have just designed. Awesome. It's mind-blowing what they can do now. Yeah. Yeah. So why, though, build and live in a bamboo house versus well, building a... a a home out of traditional building materials. Well, first of all, is the beauty of it. You know, it, it appeals. It's a, a round house. You know, yeah. they're they're not square timbers. It's all rounded. And the man who owns this house really appreciates bamboo, as most people that buy a bamboo house do, and as I do certainly. And um, of course, the environmental effect that it's a renewable resource, and not only is it renewable, but you know. I forgot to say that the clump is there. Let's say it's on a hillside and a flood comes by. The clump is still there. You're not cutting mm. down a tree and hoping something's going to grow back before some sort of weather comes through. You know, it's always there holding back erosion. Right. Yeah. Yep. So it's an environmental thing. It's a beauty thing. Mm -hmm. It's a resource thing. Mm -hmm. And for us here on Maui or in the islands, it's a local. It could be such a local resource. So, although we should probably finish this topic first, huh? <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. I think it's good the way you're going. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about the process of if I want to build a bamboo house, mm -hmm. where do I start that process? You start with the designers, the architects, and they're now over in Pahoa on Big Island. Have a wonderful setup over there where you can go in and see product and stuff. Um, pick out your design, modify it to the way it suits you. Mm -hmm. Normally, these houses have would have a sliding glass door here, or maybe they'd have windows here. Okay. It can be designed however you want. The man who owns this house came up with the idea of putting shutters on it. And everybody that sees them loves them, and I love them. Yeah. Because he wanted to be feel like he was right outside when yeah. he's inside the house. He didn't want to be separate from nature. He wanted to be as much in nature and still under shade as possible. I love it. I feel yeah. like I'm living outside. Yeah. I, I feel like yeah. I just stepped away from 
the yeah. world we live in and yeah. I'm in another place completely because it is just you are I mean yeah. you can reach out and touch nature it's right there yeah it's right there and it just flows through mm -hmm. yeah he yeah he, he doesn't want anything that separates him from nature unless the mosquitoes come out of course it's nice to shut the the screens yeah yeah so yeah. they go and get a design now how long from that point of this is the design we want to build sure to well, completion yeah. on let's just use um this place as an example which is a one bedroom one bath right um but of course it has this huge lanai all the way around yeah. which has screened in um like a screened in office and a screened in guest room over here mm -hmm. so yeah from start to finish well it depends on how big the pipeline is right for, of course but once it gets into the pipeline I'm going to say this house would take probably two to three months to complete at the factory. Okay. You know, wow. because as long as everything's there and they're not waiting on stuff. Yeah. Wow. They, That's not bad at all. Uh, and the workers are in total comfort. You know, they've got a really mm -hmm. nice roof and ventilation and fans and. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice place to work. The choice for the manufacturing being in Vietnam, is that because the bamboo supply the, is it, heavy there? Yeah, it's a special bamboo, actually, that's found in two provinces in, Bam in Vietnam, although it's also found in the Philippines, a little slightly different variety. Okay. So, yeah. And can that bamboo be grown anywhere? It could be. Yeah, it could be. Is it starting to be grown anywhere else outside of Vietnam right now? I don't think so. It, it's a difficult bamboo. It's not difficult to grow, but to cut it, oh, my God. Oh, okay. Those guys have to work so hard to cut this stuff because it's yeah. it's twisty and it wants to hug its neighbor. And it's it's not your nice straight bamboo like yeah. the moso is in China. In China, that's a simple bamboo or, or the South American guaro, both very strong but very simple. This is a special bamboo that takes a special desire to cut it yeah <laughs> can you make these bamboo homes out of other types of bamboo you can't not Only yet. that kind okay because it's because of the certification yeah they certify sgs comes from it's a, a swiss company that's international and they certify all sorts of things like the shrimp farms that send you your shrimp i mean they they're they're into all sorts of certification so they certify the bamboo mm -hmm. and the building design and construction rather Okay. So they come four times a year and check the factory, check the, the records, make certain everybody's doing it correctly. We're talking about these homes being built on Maui and, and the other Hawaiian islands. But if I'm living in sure. South Carolina, sure. Well, can I order one of these homes? You can. You can. You'd have to insulate it. And mm -hmm. we've done insulated houses before, and they're beautiful. Um, yeah, they're they tend to be in the tropics, of course, For sure. but um, they can be insulated. What drove your passion for bamboo and building the homes versus focusing on something else when it comes to sustainability or climate change? What made you go, I'm going to focus on bamboo, I'm going to focus on, on home building? Um, in the beginning, it was just that I had the opportunity to go and work in Vietnam. I thought, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. And it was. I yeah. I love Vietnam. I love Asia. 
it's it's just such an interesting place to be. So, um, and I also got to go to China eight times mm. with the bamboo, trying to make bamboo plywood, pushing that forward. Um, so it it was. I became passionate while I was there mm. because I became passionate about bamboo, and I had the odd opportunity to become friends with the man who had li had lived in the Philippines when he was a young man, and with it be between between uh, Richard and his father, they cut down forests. Now the Philippines was deforested very rapidly, wow. and uh, they were part of that movement. They were they logged it. They they made timber and stuff. And then Richard, loving nature, began to feel so bad about that yeah. <laughs> that he ended up marrying a Filipino woman and having children. And so he lived there for a long time. And he started making bamboo furniture because, of course, there were no trees left in the Philippines. But it, it really woke him up, like, you know, what have we done? Yeah. And he kind of was trying to make amends. And he used to, we used to talk a lot about that whole situation, how that was just the beginning of what we're seeing all over the world. Mm. And now it's the Amazon. You know, let's cut down the Amazon. Right. But what people forget is that if we don't have forests, we don't have the small water cycle. We don't have the rain cycle. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the trees that make it rain, as the Hawaiians say. Yeah. The trees bring the rain. So, N Not to mention the oxygen and the... Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah. We talked a little bit off the podcast about local building supplies. Mm hmm First, kind of define that for us or talk to us a little bit about what we're talking about when we say local building supplies. Well, so the the county right now has a wonderful new mayor, and we're looking at innovative ways of because we are an island, mm -hmm. how do we stop importing all this wood? Because we need to build houses, and we need to build them cheaper. So the logical way is to use something local. And bamboo is something that can be used locally. Mm -hmm. So we are now working on a grant to research growing 6,000 acres of bamboo on Maui, or it could be another island, but having a factory that converts it into OSB. And OSB, everybody's seen it, but it looks a lot like plywood, only you see those big chunks in there. It's now the building, it's normally made out of wood, and it's now the thing that builders prefer because it's very uniform, very easy to work with, very strong. And that can be made out of bamboo, locally grown. Mm. So the factory would then you harvest the bamboo, bring it down, chop it up, make the OSB, and then the, the OSB, say it's three-quarter inch, we'll say. It can be between half and, a, and one inch um, sheets. And then you can glue lamb from that. You can make you can make beams and timbers sure. that okay. are really strong. Mm -hmm. So it has so many possibilities to use it for. And besides just the fact that then you have building materials that are locally made, which supplies jobs, s supplies the builders with supplies right away versus having to wait or order them, right. but also cuts down on the Shipping. fossil fuels that are used to ship all Absolutely. that stuff here. Absolutely. Yeah. And it hopefully avoids, you know, spills or accidents yeah. or... And, th and if you think about it, it would take 60,000 acres to produce that much OSB. 
because it would take and it would take a lot more years. You'd have to wait for the trees to mature. You cut them down all at once and <laughs> send them to mill. Right. So it's so wonderful to have something after five years of establishment or even four years of establishment. You start processing. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned um, a factory. That factory would be the what would take the bamboo from its solid form and right. convert it into the right. OSB. Right. And the way that so you're you're chopping it, and you you still have some waste. So that waste then becomes biochar. Okay. So you process the biochar through a process called pyrolysis, which means you're heating something up to at least 500 degrees Celsius with no oxygen. So it's anaerobic, and it, so you get a, a like a charcoal out of it. This okay. very high grade because it's made from bamboo, which is the highest type of biochar in the world. Yeah. So you have a second, you have another value stream. And since you brought up the biochar, can you tell our listeners what biochar is? Yeah, biochar is just it's um like I said, if you 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 chop wood up, wood or bamboo or any biomass, and you raise the temperature. Put it in in a kiln that with a spiral in it. it. Takes twenty minutes to get through, and during that time, all the gases are driven out of the wood or the bamboo, which becomes syngas, which can then be converted to electricity or heat, wow. they, because they have energy mm -hmm. in them, right? And um, what you're left with is just the skeleton, and that has a huge surface area in terms of filtration. So the long term goal is to have enough biochar to filter water, to filter um, toxins that happen to be in the environment, to absorb things. It's a very useful product. And I I love that we're talking about this because a, a big part of this podcast is local economies. And local economies can benefit even more when they're focused on zero waste. Right. Which this factory sounds like it could be because you're utilizing everything. Your yeah. waste yep. for something else. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it's such a it's when we walk through it slowly on a podcast like this, it's yeah. easy to understand and it's easy to go, well, why aren't we doing that with literally everything? Why aren't we converting all our factories to whatever waste they have, turning it into energy, turning it into biochar. It's very easy for us when you're sitting here to go, that makes total sense. What are the hurdles to this? The hurdles are, because so when I got into climate change, I realized that a big key to climate change was biochar, was pyrolysis. And at the time, I started working with a French technology that wasn't mature yet. Okay, I mean, it was it was more mature than other technologies, but now pyrolysis has become very mature, and it is like one of the key technologies going forward because it converts um, chemicals from one thing to another. For example, if you take plastic or any sort of toxic material and you put it in an incinerator like they do over in Oahu, you have emissions. Now, they scrub those emissions, great, but, but the reason they have emissions is they put it in there let's say 500 degrees Celsius, but for a very short time. So it's a short dwell time, high temperature. But with pyrolysis, you take that same product and you put it in there for 20 minutes at the same temperature without oxygen. And now, it's because of the 20 minutes, it breaks down all the molecular bonds. So mm -hmm. something that was a long carbon compound is now reduced down to the simple components, primarily gases. Mm-hmm that are either non-toxic, in most cases they're just non-toxic. So I've been 
at the at the factory in France when they were pyrolyzing what they call um, refuge-derived fuel. That means you just take your dump and you just start grinding it all up and making these little pellets. That's refuge-derived fuel. Oh. And uh, they were pyrolyzing it. We were looking at the gases and the percentages that are coming out, the amount of energy is coming off of that, which is, of course, amazing because this comes from fossil fuels to begin with. And then I go outside where the, the pipe is coming out, the exhaust, zero smell. Zero smell. And I'm the type of person, if I walk down a soap aisle, I get a headache because yeah. of the smell, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there was that factory, were they running, could they run their factory off the energy produced? Absolutely. Or at it, least it, depending, supplement? Depending on what you're pyrolyzing. You know, mm -hmm. if you're pyrolyzing a low caloric value thing, like biomass, it's not that high a caloric value, or sewage sludge has almost no caloric value, then you have to supplement. But if you're pyrolyzing tires, plastic, anything like that, there's so much energy that is recouped that you are mm -hmm. not only running your factory, you're exporting. You're exporting energy, and that's that's the future, is that? But they're it's very expensive. And paralysis yeah. equipment, we're talking big bucks. Yeah, not huge bucks, not huge. I mean, yeah. But if it became something that was more in demand, and we sure. and more of it was being made, yep. the price would come down. Yep, that technology was purchased by a Norwegian company, a large Norwegian company that's mass, beginning to mass produce them now. Mm -hmm. You know, they bought it two or three years ago, and now they're mass producing the, the and that's what it's going to take. Because until now, I don't think any paralysis has been mass produced. Mm -hmm. And this so. might be a, maybe this is silly, but I, but I don't think so. I think it has a practical application. If that equipment yeah. was mass-produced enough, mm -hmm. you could have in a community. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Bring businesses, bring your waste here. Mm -hmm. They could put it through that process and generate energy for the community. Absolutely. To and, turn on street lights or to run right, and they're they're really working on doing that in Asia, where there's so much plastic pollution and mm -hmm. so much urban density that a container, because you can put these things in a forty foot container and run the whole machine, a mm -hmm. small one, small enough for you know for a neighborhood. So it's just infrastructure, you know, is a big thing to me. That's the technology that excites me. Like AI doesn't excite me. Chat. GBT freaks me out. Yeah. But the technology that excites me is thinking an automotive shop, like if this was mass produced enough and could be made small enough, an automotive sh shop owner in a small town could have one of those, dump all his waste in it, and run his, run all the power in his shop. You know, like yeah. the the more practical, and I right. know that's that's the far off thing, but that type of technology to me is yeah. so much more exciting. Yeah. Because it's it's maybe almost seems a little too utopian, but what an what a dream oh. to be able to have zero waste in your whatever your business is to dump your waste into that thing. And Americans have to start demanding that. Yeah, you know the I, I spend a lot of time in Europe whenever I can, and they are so far ahead. You know, you they just. That's a given. 
You know, they don't, there's nowhere to put the waste. Well, but also they don't even allow you to make something. You have a game plan and a whole downstream. Where's how are you going to dispose of it? What's mm -hmm. your end game? And how is it going to be recycled? Or you can't manufacture it. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are way ahead of us. Yeah. Why? And maybe you don't have the answer to this, but I just yeah. love this as a conversational yeah. question. Why? Why are we so far behind? Why aren't we like that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it, it purely we, just capitalism? I well, I, and and not I, and I'm yeah. not trying to shit on capitalism. I'm just saying, is it yeah. money and greed? I think that's a big part of it. But another part is that we have been pretty spoiled that we mostly Europeans arrived here and it's like, wow, <laughs> mm -hmm. look at the resources that unfortunately they stole from the Native Americans. And converted into cash, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a pretty easy take. Yeah. And I think people just got lazy. It's like when I was a kid, the shoe factory in my town, Hush Puppies, mm -hmm. the home of Hush Puppies in Rockford, Michigan, mm -hmm. just dumped everything in the river. And as a kid, you just didn't swim on that side of the factory. You had to swim up there where the factory owner lived. You know, I mean, it's not that way anymore. Oh, no, because yeah. they, they, now they make them in China. Yeah. Which is the same thing. I mean, mm -hmm. the restrictions are very low there. Yeah. So it's just, it's out of sight, out of mind. Americans are just, we have to be start taking personal responsibility for what is it we are purchasing? Mm -hmm. And where is it being made and how is it being converted? And home building is so relevant to that because... We are continually building, but also the prices are going so high yeah. that we don't have affordable housing in a lot of places right, right now, Right, particularly here on Maui or in the Hawaiian Islands and other islands deal with this as well Right, and big cities. So we're, we talked about this bamboo house here, but what are some other housing models that are something that can be built locally from local supplies with local labor. So we're incredibly lucky on this island to have Whispering Winds Bamboo, mm -hmm. which is a, a employee-owned collective out in Kipahulu. They have 20 acres or maybe more now of structural bamboo. They have at least six or seven different varieties. It's not this exact bamboo, but, but very tough bamboo. And they are building little structures, and we're going to walk out and see one. They're building structures that are not only beautiful but strong as agricultural buildings. Mm -hmm. And they've built quite a few, and they have a lot more to build. And those could be – they could be made into even bigger buildings. And I would like to see them infilled walls with lath, bamboo lath. Okay. And more, more interior structure, and eventually filled in with – Hempcrete, which can also be grown on this island. So hemp grows well in the tropics, mm -hmm. and you have to process it into the into the product that you make the hempcrete out of. Um, but you're only using you're, the only thing you're importing is t is twenty percent by volume of lime. The rest of it is all locally grown, which wow. is incredible. Mm -hmm. So that combined with bamboo is my ultimate ideal to mm -hmm. see and beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Think of the old European farms. Yeah. You know. How do we start actioning those things? Like how do you 
Are you starting to action that here on Maui? And how would someone action that if they're somewhere where they want to start creating locally sourced housing supplies? So hemp creek can be made any place. I mean, I pretty much any place in the United States could grow hemp mm-hmm. um, or could be grown nearby. And, yeah, they just have to check with their local building so, um, permit people. But this, the mayor now has an innovative department, an innovative council. It's really pushing for how can we solve these sorts of problems locally. Mm-hmm. And he's off to a great start, so I have a big hope for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's really looking into those sorts of solutions, and as are many farmers, you know. Mm-hmm. What could a listener do today to start becoming more involved with some of these innovative solutions, like utilizing bamboo, like using local building supplies? They could start researching mm. and and work and asking their county people, mm-hmm. you know, is it okay if we build with these things? You know, pushing the envelope, getting a getting a variance, mm-hmm. which is what we're hoping to do. And that's yeah. I love that you brought that up because that's another important part of this podcast is being involved locally when it when it comes to politics and when it comes to local government because really important, mm-hmm. really important that the if you're going to your town council and you want them to push something through, whether it's the mayor's office or yeah. Or sign counsel. off on something, yeah. Yep, yep. To to write your letters, to show up and testify for sure is very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what didn't we talk about when it comes to this bamboo home? And I know we're going to walk around in a minute and um, talk about some of the specifics, but is there anything else about these bamboo houses that we didn't talk about? I think you can probably just see it as you walk around. It's They're just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It, really, yeah. it really, really. I mean, this setting helps too. <laughs> this setting helps too, for sure. But I've seen them in many settings, and they're always beautiful. And then two more things I wanted to ask you before we we walk around. And one of the things I wanted to ask you was, what are and you mentioned a couple throughout as we were talking about what are some resources that our listeners can read, watch, listen to, whether it's climate change, sustainability, or bamboo living. Okay, we'll put some links yeah. and some connections, yeah. I have a slide share that I made about bamboo as a climate change hero. Okay. That it says, it's. I think it's pretty. It's just a few words on beautiful slides. So it's yeah. kind of like a slideshow with just a couple words to read and yeah. takes you through the journey. Takes you through the, the system, yeah. Are there any... Um, climate change researchers or sustainability researchers that we should be paying attention well, to? I I love the journalist um, Judith Schwartz. Okay. Judith Schwartz. She Her first book was Cow Save the Planet. Okay. And she she never thought it would go anyplace and became a very popular book. And then the next book she wrote was Water in Plain Sight. And then the last book, I, The Rainbow Reindeer Chronicles, which her publisher made her change the title. I don't like that title, but it's... It's uh, she actually came to Maui and wrote part of it here on Maui. Okay, so yeah. All right, I'll definitely put some links in the show notes to all of that. Yeah. And then the last question I want to ask you before we kind of walk around and, and talk a little bit is, 
if you could sit down with one person and have a conversation like we did today, Mm -hmm. living or dead, who would you love to sit across from and and ask some questions to and have a conversation with? Well, I would sit down with young people. Mm. Young people today and people, young people yet to be born. Because it's going to take a group effort and a group mind of, and and that's coming. You see that, that that's more prevalent in the way younger people approach life. It's less, it's more about the group than it is about the individual. And it it has to be that. Mm -hmm. It has to be that. So, and one thing I would say to young people is that, you know, come up with good ideas to help the environment, to help climate change, and then just don't give up. Mm. Because when you the the two men who started this business started it twenty six years ago, and for years I watched them struggle for years, and today they're doing pretty good. You yeah, know, they're expanding into bamboo plywood in the Philippines and other things. But it took a long time and tremendous tenacity, mm-hmm. tremendous tenacity. The same way with Whispering Winds Bamboo that started about twenty years ago, and then. It's just little by little, the little pieces that you have to get to put in place before things start to really flow. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the dot-com industry spoiled everybody. They think, oh, I could be a millionaire tomorrow. Well, in most industries, at least in environmentalists, that's usually not true. Mm-hmm. That's not true. So get a good idea, stick with a good idea, and just follow it through because it just needs to be done. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for being a listener of Conversation Mill. The podcast is growing, but we need your continued support in the form of comments, likes, and subscriptions. If you've enjoyed even one episode, please take two minutes to comment under the episode or the podcast itself, or rate the podcast. Hitting the subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast helps tremendously. Every like and subscribe helps me support local businesses and local nonprofits by giving them a platform to tell their stories. Together, we can foster the understanding, diversity, and economies that make our individual communities flourish, while creating our own community here at Conversation Mill. Also, you can join us at conversationmill.substack.com where you can become a member and receive weekly member-only content, including member-only episodes. I look forward to sharing a new conversation with you next week. And as always, thank you for your support.